Hey everyone, this is Derek M. Cook, and before I start this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio, I just wanted to come on here and say thank you for everybody's patience. This episode is going out a little late. I typically like to get the episodes out late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. It is actually a quarter after 4 p.m. Thursday afternoon as I'm recording this, and I'm still not done with the show. It will be going out later tonight, I hope. The reason the show is late, and I've mentioned this on Twitter and I mentioned it on Facebook as well, We said goodbye to one of our cats yesterday, Samantha, who we think was probably 18 or 19 years old, had been struggling for a while. And you know what? I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes to what I posted on Facebook because it's still pretty raw and I don't know if I really want to go through it again right now. So Brenda and I needed some time with Samantha before we took her to the vet and obviously throughout the rest of the day afterwards um, probably upsetting our other cats smoke and Wednesday with how much we clung to them and insisted on cuddling with them when we came home. Thank you for everybody who said something on Facebook or on Twitter Uh, I got a few emails and a few private messages as well and a couple of texts. And I just, I want you to know that I really appreciate this. I have used the social media aspect of what I do here on Monster Kid Radio uh, for more than just Monster Kid Radio stuff. I've come to view so many of you as friends first, podcast listeners second, and You've become an important part of my life. So knowing that you've got my back when things are tough means a lot. So I really appreciate that. If you have an animal in your life, please give them a scritch or a pet or a belly rub or whatever for me and for Brenda and especially for Samantha. Without further ado, here's Monster Kid Radio. you're hearing right now is the song negative id from the eugene oregon band grand rojo it's from their self-titled album grand rojo which you can find at grandrojo.bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net that is the website for the podcast you're listening to right now monster kid radio my name is Derek m cook and i'd like to welcome you to the show that celebrates the classic and sometimes the not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear and this time around we are in week five week five of the satanic rites of january the final week there were five thursdays this month that meant five movies in a row that all had to do with the devil or Satan or, or something along those lines. Even if it's just kind of referenced a little bit like with the satanic rites of Dracula, it's still there. And this week, I've got the shadow over Portland's Chris McMillan coming to talk to me about a movie from the 70s starring the Shat. <laughs> the Devil's Reign is on deck this time around with William Shatner and company. And it was a fun conversation. I just got done editing the conversation There were a few times when Chris and I kind of went off script, not that there's a script, but man, we took a few tangents here and there and, you know, it was a fun chat and I hope it's a fun listen for you. 
Also this week, we have Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. You know, the segment where he goes and looks at the magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland. Big thanks to Kenny for providing that. Really appreciate it. I want to take a moment to send a message out to Professor Frenzy. Professor Frenzy's bedtime stories had become a staple here on Monster Kid Radio, and I appreciate all of his contributions to the show. It's made the show better, it's made the show richer, and it's just been fun for me to listen to these stories delivered the way he delivered them. It was just pretty cool. It's a nicely produced segment. I loved the music. Just the whole vibe was cool. At this point, Professor Frenzy is going to pull out of doing the bedtime stories here on Monster Kid Radio. He is developing a YouTube show, and that obviously takes a lot more time. I should know because I've been trying to get some YouTube things going for a while now. Stay tuned. I think 2020 is going to have some cool YouTube stuff for me, but this is about Jerry Green, you know, Professor Frenzy. Jerry, I wish you the best of luck with the YouTube channel. I can't wait to see what you're brewing, and please know that you'll always have a home here on Monster Kid Radio if you ever want to do the bedtime stories again or any other segment. Just keep in touch, all right? I know I'll be watching the YouTube show. I've had some Facebook comments about previous episodes this month, and I'll be going over those next month, as I really do want to make sure this show goes out before too much more time has passed, because I know I'm running late. So, what are we waiting for? Curse on our village. The curse of Frankenstein. Your father was Frankenstein. That your mother was the lightning. The most dreaded creation of man. The monster of Frankenstein stalks again. Here is drama completely strange, full of weird suspense. With this great cast, Sir Cedric Hardwick, Lionel Atwill, Ralph Bellamy, Bela Lugosi, Evelyn Ankers, Lon Chaney, in the gripping tale of a monster the tomb cannot engulf, chains cannot hold. You're going to give him life? Yes. Not for the purposes that you think, Igor. I'm giving him another brain. Is that your shot, husband? Yes, yes. <laughs> Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street, vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. This is David Colton of the Rondo Awards, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's movie, The Devil's Reign, was featured in Famous Monsters number 120 from October of 1975. It was an eight-page article with nine photos. It starts with a detailed plot synopsis, which stops short of giving the ending. Instead, these comments from the producers were included. Concluding scenes of our picture bring to the screen such destruction and terror as have never been photographed before. We believe we have captured on film the most incredible ending of any motion picture ever made. 
Soon, you can see if you agree. The article continues with a brief look at star William Shatner's career, which includes these comments taken from an interview. It seems to Shatner that making the movie has affected people in and around it. Having worked in so many Star Trek episodes, which frequently concerned individuals who used mental powers to control others, Shatner feels that it is possible for whatever one believes emphatically to really happen. Shatner sincerely believes that an X factor exists in all of us and is plausible for this factor to stem from some extraterrestrial influence. There's an unexplainable something about mankind that has influenced all his behavior throughout the ages, Shatner says, and there are too many things that do happen that cannot be explained. Shatner points out that the science fiction in Star Trek was imaginable. There are so many things that we're not even capable of imagining, he adds. Shatner has been intrigued by the various cults that have existed through the ages. I'm just curious and very open-minded, he says and smiles. Perhaps that's my X factor. A look at Ernest Bergnine's career is next, which includes his comments on today's movie. It's not every day that an actor gets to play the devil in the flesh. A flesh and bones Lucifer realized through elaborate makeup and special effects. Star Ernest Borgnine got to experience this in what could be the most unusual film assignment of his motion picture career. Borgnine is the closest thing to the devil yet seen on the screen. Anytime, anyplace, anywhere, says the producer. I had to go through a lot of changes playing Corvus, said Borgnine, including at one point getting transformed into a goat-like image of the devil, the hottest, most difficult makeup I've ever had to wear. Borgnine tackled his role with considerable gusto immersing himself in the wide body of literature about Satanism and the occult. He brought numerous volumes on the subject with him. But once the film ended, said Ernie, those books went right back to the library shelves. Getting the devil out of you can only be a healthy attitude if the action taken is positive. Never working against the betterment of mankind. The article ends with this look at director Robert Feist. English-born director Robert Feist enjoys a reputation for well-made horror Prior to his chores on The Devil's Reign, he delighted audiences with the chills and thrills he delivered via the abominable Dr. Fives and the popular sequel Dr. Fives Rises Again. His second movie was a thriller entitled And Soon the Darkness, followed by the remake of The Wuthering Heights, an ambitious project which led into the Fives duo, establishing Feist with a following of happy horror fans all over the world. A feature prior to The Devil's Reign was The Last Days of Man on Earth. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. At the edge of the universe, 400 men and women are probing the immeasurable blackness of space. Their leaders are an Earthman with no fear and a stranger with no heart. Travel beyond our time and solar system into new galaxies, into worlds beyond your dreams. Star Trek, every week, in color on the NBC television network. Rick Baker's creatures for The Exorcist. King Kong and Star Wars are the height of motion picture magic and mystery. Now Baker has created the first new horror creature, the incredible Melting Man. Hero astronaut Stephen West returns from outer space. 
His body is melting. He must get human cells. He is the incredible melting man. Come prepared. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Hey, comic book fans. I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. <laughs> you got yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? <laughs> hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. He sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. Let's see, am I recording? Yes, I'm recording. Awesome. Uh-oh. Everything's looking good. All right. Cool. You want to do this, man? Let's go. You know, I'm just going to use that as the intro. It's Chris McMillan. It's week <laughs> five of the Satanic Rites of January, the final week of the Satanic Rites of January. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> We'll go with okay. That'll work. Sounds good. Good. Sounds okay. Yeah. (laughs) What is happening here? All right. So, uh, yeah, it's, man, the beginning of this conversation is so all (laughs) over the place, right? Oh, well. Uh, (laughs) You know what it is? It's five weeks of doing this. Normally, when we do a theme month, four weeks, we're done. But with the way the schedule kind of worked out, you know, yeah. five weeks of the Titanic rights of January. And, and, you know, I've had fun overall. The movies have been fun to kind of revisit or visit. Yeah, you've done some good ones. I know you did Satanic Rites of Dracula. I have yet to hear it because I am so far behind. Chris. But I'm looking forward to that. I know. I'm Chris. terrible, aren't I? Uh. Nah, it's all right, man. <laughs> the podcast is always there waiting for you to listen when you finally, uh, you know, want to catch up with your friend's work. But anyway. <laughs> oh, make me feel guilty now. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good, man. It's all good. No, totally I know. Good. I know. Yeah, um, but but yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to it. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it's got to be a lot of work, though, to get a whole set of themes. You can't just go, oh, I've, I've had this for a while. I'll just put that in there because it's got to be satanic. You know, it's been a treat. It really has. And I, I'm really glad that uh, Alistair Hughes and I had the conversation that kind of birthed this theme month because, you know, it's just fun to, to look at Satan. Boy, that comes out wrong. It's just fun <laughs> to look at some of these movies. And it, some of them really speak to me. The Devil Rides Out really speaks to me. Uh, the Satanic Rites of Dracula really speaks to me on a creative level. And I think people who have either already read or are getting sick and tired of hearing the ad for my book know that 
I, I have a thing for monster hunting and that sort of thing in my fiction. So the Satanic Rites of Dracula, you can see some of that in there. You can see the influence of things like that in there. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just it's something that, that I find kind of special. Will I do this again next year? I don't know. I know there are some films that I wanted to do, some conversations I wanted to schedule that I unfortunately did not make happen. I did want to do uh, Race with the Devil with Todd Brown from the Haunted Cinema. And, you know, maybe I'll do that later this year. Maybe I'll hold it till next January. We'll see. That's a fun one, too. Some reason after The Exorcist came out, everybody started jumping on the satanic bandwagon, so to speak, back in the 70s. And we got these great cheesy satanic movies you know i I feel like occult style horror really blossomed and then maybe withered (laughs) in the 70s uh yeah there was a real focus on that and i i enjoy that too Mm -hmm. so it was fun to get into these and and this one was one that i had never seen before when you mentioned it i thought you know what? I'm going to sit on it. I'm not going to watch it until right before I record with Chris because I want it to be fresh. I want to have that experience of having just seen it right beforehand. And I have thoughts. Oh, good. So do I. But um, you did tell the count that we are going to spoil the ending of this because there's no way we can't talk about the ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as always. As always. This is Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Yeah, okay, good, because, you know, I mean, the ending's really what makes this movie to a point. I mean, I really enjoy it. Uh, I think The Devil's Reign is a fine B-schlock-style horror film that works well. It's just the poster promises, people melting, and this movie really delivered that. Yeah, I mean... It's the 70s, so we're seeing a little bit more gruesomeness. We're seeing a few more things that we wouldn't normally see, like in The Black Cat, which was the first movie we covered. I think, Mm -hmm. was it the first movie we did this month? I don't remember. But a movie we did earlier this month. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I don't remember. I think that was the first. uh, Well, like I said, I haven't listened to him, so. um, (laughs) Chris. I know. No, it's all right, man. It's all good. Totally understandable. Uh, Let's see. This is the first time we've had you on the show in 2020. How's the new year treating you and the shadow over Portland? It's doing okay. It's doing good. I'm okay. I see the... (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be a recurring theme this time around. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The blog is back up and running, you know, with with the holidays and all that. Sometimes things kind of get in the way, and I get that totally. Uh, So nice to see that coming back. Oh, yeah, it's back. I'm hoping to get a few other things started up in the next couple of months, and I'll keep everybody posted on that. Ooh, don't tease me, bro. Part of it is I want to do more reviews and more opinion pieces on the blog. I enjoy just listing things and stuff, but I'd rather have moments where I'm more creative. Okay. And doing something interesting or, or doing something, you know, different. 
So yeah, I'm planning on that. And uh, yeah, okay, I'll say it now. I'm going to try and get the podcast I've talked about for years up and running on it. So I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that or not. Nope. Now that it's out, I better get on it. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't want the competition. Oh, come on. There's no <laughs> way I can compete with you. Jeez. Nah. Man, I'm just going to be lucky if I, if I come across as, as sounding relatively competent, you know? I mean, you're the man. You are the person I aspire to Oh God! Reach that level of, <laughs> well, or something like that. As the person who has to edit you every time you come on my show, I also <laughs> hope that you can. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was nasty. Yeah, that was that was inappropriate. <laughs> oh well. So sometime in 2020. Yes, that's the plan. All right. That's the plan. And like I said, now that I said it, I better do it. Yes, sir. Oh, so, yep. Mm-hmm. Right on. All right. Well, we're going to dive into the Devil's Reign and talk about all that. But we got to do something that I forgot to do in the last episode. I completely spaced part in the Classic Five with Frank Schildener. Oh, my. Well, God, I'm glad you're not forgetting now because I was studying all last night for it. R- really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Okay. Well, then I will pick out the really, really hard questions this time just to see how well you said no. <laughs> oh, man. Listeners, I'm sorry. I'm feeling a little off energy wise. So I appreciate your patience. And Chris, I appreciate your patience. I kind of tweaked my back on a a flight recently and a bus ride. So I'm on some painkillers. So thank you for everybody's patience as I kind of muddle through this. Let's talk about the Classic Five. It is the game that we play here on the show every week. When I remember, I have a deck of cards here. Each card is this or that. Which movie do you prefer? Style, question, that sort of thing. It's a conversation starter, an icebreaker. There are no wrong or right answers, really. It's just a way for a couple of monster kids to get talking or continue talking. Chris, are you ready to play a round of the Classic Five? Well, I better be. Let's go. All right, here we go. Card number one from the Kaiju deck. Which Kaiju would you want to see on the big screen in a brand new movie? Well, my go-to response, King Ghidorah has already been done. So let's see. You know, I want to see the Gargantuas come back. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the first kaiju movies I ever saw, and it's got that special place, you know, in my heart because of that. And I really enjoyed the movie, even though, you know, Russ Tamblin wasn't really up for acting in it. (laughs) Um, But I really enjoyed that movie. I love, I just loved it. So I'd love to see them come back. Maybe they'll show up in um, Godzilla versus Kong on Kong's side. I don't know. I hope so. But yeah, if I was to pick a kaiju, those two are the ones I want to see come back on the big screen. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Let's step into the hammer deck here for card number two. Which movie do you prefer, Horror of Dracula or The Curse of Frankenstein? <laughs> That's a oh man! I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm gonna go with Horror of Dracula. Horror of Dracula. Dracula, the most terrifying lover the world has ever known. Who will be his bride tonight? Horror of Dracula. Dracula, dead and yet alive for 600 years. Dracula, the human vampire who lusts for human blood. 
see Horror of Dracula. The greatest shock story of them all now achieves new heights of motion picture suspense. See Horror of Dracula and watch the fiend who rises each night from his coffin bed to seek the rendezvous that alone can keep him alive. See Horror of Dracula and watch those who came to destroy a monster stay to become his victim. See Horror of Dracula, but don't dare see it alone. The chill of the tomb won't leave your blood for hours. Horror of Dracula, all new and in flaming technicolor. Well, first off, Christopher Lee actually gets to speak in that movie. He's not on screen all that much, but at least he's talking and acting. You know what I mean. He's he's got he's got dialogue, and he does it so well. And I mean, let's be honest, we're introduced to the best Von Helsing ever by Peter Cushing. I mean, that man kicks butt. So, I mean, not that his Baron Frankenstein was slouching either, but I just love that ending battle between the two of them, that smackdown in Dracula's castle. That's just, yeah, horror of Dracula. Fair enough. All right, card number three, Black Sunday or Black Sabbath? Oh, man, you are pulling out the hard ones. Yeah. <sighs> That's from the deep cut oh. deck. <laughs> that is that is harsh because they're both so good. Um, you know, uh, Black Sunday. The sound you hear is dripping blood. This is the start of Black Sunday. Black Sunday comes but once every hundred years. On that day, the undead demons of hell rise to unleash an orgy of evil on the world. From Nicolaj Gogol's great classic, American International Pictures presents Black Sunday, the most frightening motion picture you have ever seen. She was murdered 500 years ago. There in the barren waste that was her cemetery, they nailed the mask of Satan to her face. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has there been such an unspeakable day and night as Black Sunday. I love the atmosphere. I, I love the look of it. And Barbara Steele, of course. Sure. You know, Black Sabbath, I mean, that's a, you know, that's the thing. It's a great film. It's right up there. Although I think the stories, the way they're put in the Italian version work better than the American one because they start with the phone and then they go with the Vortilac and they end with the water one, which works really well because the phone one, eh, I could take or leave. The Vortilac, oh yeah. Um, and then that ghost story one, oh, that one's creepy. But I think the, the woman uh, being stalked by the person on the phone just, just it was one of those where it's like it's really beautifully shot. It's interesting, but it just didn't engage me. I have to go with Black Sunday. Okay. All right, card number four. What was the most recent Universal monster movie you've watched? Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember. Creature from Black Lagoon. Of course. <laughs> no! No! Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. When were you watching Creature, man? And why didn't you invite me over? Well, I, okay, I'm sorry. I should have invited you over, but it was like last year when um, I think it was Steve Sullivan 
or someone on the Mustard Radio Facebook feed posted that they were selling the Blu-rays of the Universal Monster series for like nine bucks on Amazon. And it's like, oh, well, okay. I know I have them all, but I got to get a Blu-ray of Creature. And yeah, that was the last one because it was like, well, I got the Blu-ray. Got to watch it now. It was either that or a Creature Walks Among Us. I think it was Creature from Black Lagoon because, yeah, I don't think I've gotten the Creature Walks Among Us yet. So Creature from Black Lagoon. That's another one I have to watch. Creature Walks Among Us and um, Revenge of the Creature. Have to. Have to. Well, yeah. All right. Final card. You get to live for a day inside a classic monster movie. Which one is it? Oh, uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Hopefully the day of the bride's creation, because God, to, you know, to be in that laboratory, all the sparks, all the electricity, all the grandeur of that. Yeah, that would be the one I'd want to see for real. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it would just be amazing to actually live through that. That would be cool. Of course, I'd probably be the one guy who got electrocuted because I touched the wrong wire or something. But, you know, uh, what a way to go. Are you saying you'd pull that lever, that you're, that, that one doomsday lever? That <laughs> Well, it's like a big red button. You don't put a big red button somewhere unless you want someone to push it. Exactly. So you don't put a doomsday lever anywhere until, you, unless you want someone to pull it. <laughs> Fair enough. See, for me, it would have to be creature, but whatever, you know, to each your own. Well, yeah, but I don't really like hot and muggy and humid, and I just think of going to the Amazon and just going, I'm sweating, I'm wearing sunscreen all over me, I'm miserable. I'd rather have the rainy lightning storm. I hear that, but then I also think, then I'd go swimming with Julie Adams, and it's all good. Well, yeah, that is true. That is true. Good point there. But I'm, I said bride. I'm sticking with it. Okay. All right. Fine. Fine. All right. Well, that was the classic five. Chris, do you feel warmed up? Oh, yeah. And I'm so glad I studied last night. <laughs> <laughs> the Devil's Reign with Ernest Borgnine, William Shatner, Eddie Albert, Keenan Wynn, John Travolta, Tom Skerritt, and Ida Lupino. What is it, Julie? What, what are you seeing? Book. A, a long, a, a long time ago. I, I can see them. They're, they're looking for the book. Bible. A curse on thee and thine forevermore. I will follow thee and thy descendants. For all eternity, I will until the book is mine again. Now what about the disappearance of my family, for crying out loud? An angry Lucifer lashes out and attempts to forever trap these sorrowful souls in a living hell. Will he succeed? Find out with The Devil's Reign. The Satanic Rites of January. We had to do a movie that had something to do with the devil, Satanism, Satanic or Satan in the title. 
The Devil's Reign. That fits the bill. It's got the devil in the title. There's a satanic mm-hmm. cult. And William Shatner. It's got all these satanic... I'm just kidding about William Shatner. It's got all the <laughs> satanic... Uh, that's more Eddie Albert. Anyway, so we have all this... <laughs> <laughs> no, well, yeah. Well, you also have Anton LaVey. Okay. Was he actually so, yeah. in the film? Yes, he is. I didn't see him. Granted, I'm not overly familiar with what he looks like, but I don't know if I recognized him. Yeah, I, I know for sure he's in the scene where they burn the wax figure and William Shatner's being changed into the eyeless zombies, I guess. I don't okay. know. Um, okay. That, that Ernest Borgnine has. And he is in it, but the thing is, he's wearing a helmet that covers half his face. Okay. But he's pretty, you know, they have a couple of scenes where he's pretty prominent. And there's one that's basically a close up of him in the mask. So, yeah, he is in the movie as well as credited as being a technical advisor. You know, I don't know how much technical advice he gave, you know, but it certainly was a draw, you know, to have the founder of the Church of Satan in your satanic movie giving you technical advice, I guess. Well, and again, you know, it's the 70s and these genre films, there's so much of it in there, you know, it just felt like the right time to do a movie with Satanism or witchcraft. I mean, there's just something about that era where you see so many movies like that coming out. So to have a quote unquote expert involved in some manner, yeah, must have given it a little extra push. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I know that LeVay was pretty good at promoting himself from everything I've read about him, which wasn't a whole lot, mostly Wikipedia, but he was a very good self-promoter, apparently. Okay. This was just another way of promoting himself, because apparently back at the time he was going on all the talk shows like uh, Donahue and, and stuff like that, I guess, promoting his church. And so this is just an, just feels like another big promotion for him. Or promotional opportunity, I should say. But I don't think it really makes the film any better. Because it's still a great film. <laughs> so the movie, At least I think so. <laughs> it's directed by the director of the Fives films, Robert Fust. So mm-hmm. you've got some genre cred here. you got a guy who worked with Vincent Price behind the camera here doing his thing. And yeah, maybe his uh, budget and or a lot of amount of days to shoot got cut uh, after he started production. But, you know, he does the best he can with the elements that he has on hand. And some of these elements include some incredibly charismatic actors, Shatner, Ernest Borgnine. And I know I was making a joke. Eddie Albert's great. Keenan Wynn is great. Tom Skerritt. You've got some wonderful people in front of the camera. Oh, yeah. And you've also got, you know, the desert landscape, which Fuse used the desert landscape really well. I mean, it, it he's shot it and it, it looks beautiful. The film really looks beautiful. You've got, you know, the desert background for the budget. He's got some really good, really good shots. You know, the scene where William Shatner just realized he can't compete against Ernest Borgnine in a battle of faith and he takes off from all the minions. Well, that tracking dolly shot is is just gorgeous. It looks great. You know, so, yeah, I think the direction in this is great. You've got all these actors who are not phoning it in on this one. They're they're actually acting and, and doing a great job with the material. I mean, sometimes it's a little eh, iffy as to how, you know, the lines they're given and stuff. But still, it, they all do a great job. You know, this is post 
Star Trek, the original series, for Shatner. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he does have some of the Kirkisms that he developed on that show still present, but he's still pretty early in his, I guess, film career, uh, as well as Tom Skerritt uh, and some of the other younger performers in the film, to where, yeah, they are not these personalities on screen. It's not, hey, that's Shatner. It's it's Shatner acting as somebody. It's not, hey, that's Tom Skerritt. It's Skerritt as somebody. Does that make sense? They're not hiding no, behind or, or, or getting wrapped up in their persona as a, a performer. They're actually doing what they need to do, and that's act or yeah. perform with some real earnest intention. Yeah, and that's very true with Shatner. I mean, he's not channeling his Star Trek method of acting in this one. Like, he's basically acting. It's kind of like his um, Kingdom of the Spiders, you know. I mean, he's still William Shatner. He still has some little quirks, but he's not accenting them as much as he will later on, you know. Right. I mean, and I think Shatner gets a bad rep anyway for his style of acting on the original series. I thought it's not as bad as people make it out to be. But... Yeah, I mean, no. this is definitely, um, you know, early enough where he's a hungry performer and he's really working it, which I found surprising when I learned that during the course of the production, he actually took off for a few days to go do a Star Trek convention <laughs> and then came <laughs> back. So it's like, okay, we're going to go away from the way we did things on Star Trek. Oh, by the way, I got to go back to somewhere that celebrates Star Trek. Oh, and then I'll come back. It's like, well, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you know I mean, hey, it's, he probably, yeah, he probably had committed to that before this and uh, before the film, is, mm-hmm. and it's like, gotta do it, you know. And if it's only for a weekend, that eh, they probably were fine. Oh yeah, I would assume. Yeah, you know. Well, in having not seen the film before, sitting down to watch it, I was surprised when Shatner was not center stage the entire time. I thought he was the lead, and he kind of is, but he's not the only lead yeah he's kind of like our motivation through the first act of the film but then things shift over to tom scarrett mm-hmm. i didn't expect that i really thought we were going to be hanging out with shatner the entire time that was the whole captain kirk thing playing off of it you know you're like oh it's william shatner he's gonna be the hero mm-hmm. the main protagonist and it's like no no not quite things take a little bit of a left turn for him and it they don't work out very well. Well, and that's another thing that I think happened in the 70s when it came to genre cinema, whether it's sci-fi or horror, is that some of these chances were being taken in a way that you wouldn't have seen in the 30s or 40s or 50s. If you had somebody in the top billing, they were going to be in the film, you know, uh, from start to finish. And this is one of those situations where I feel like yeah, maybe people expected Shatner to be a little bit more prominent in the movie. And uh, nope, just just kidding. It's, it's really somebody else. So it's a nice yeah. you know, a subversion of expectation, I suppose. I could see that. The popularity of Star Trek at the time, uh, you know, I mean, it was popular, but I don't think it was quite the same level as it is now. Oh, no, not at all. If you go back and you read uh, some of Shatner's uh, memoirs or autobiographies, uh, Star Trek memories and Star Trek movie memories. He'll tell you, he'll talk about in these books about how after Star Trek was canceled, there's a good chunk of time where he was just living in a trailer. He was not the guy that he would eventually become when he was regularly working on things like TJ Hooker or doing this, the Star Trek films or anything like that. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's a working guy trying to get work just like everybody else. It was 
So yeah, I appreciated this film on that level for sure. So I don't want to do a beat by beat breakdown. I know sometimes we do that on the show, but you know, I've done that a lot in most recent episodes. I just kind of want to talk briefly about the story, the overlying here, uh, the overlying story oh, yeah. here. Uh, we, well, it's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is pretty simple. And I think that's another place that this film succeeds, knowing they didn't have a lot of time and money to shoot this. They really streamlined what, the story they were telling, the kind of story they were telling. You've got the movie kicking off, picking up immediately in the thick of things. You've got this mm-hmm. family that's got this book that this cult or, or church once it gets their hands on and hey there's a melting guy <laughs> you know? and, and yeah, we start the melting right away like within the first 10 minutes yeah there's a melting guy we find out there's somebody named corbis that is kind of the big bad and shatner's gonna go face off against him not really but he's gonna try <laughs> he gives his best but, yeah yep. you know and he goes to this little small abandoned basically ghost town with this old abandoned church and has a confrontation with Corbis played by Ernest Borgnine, who I tell you is. Yeah. <laughs> now go ahead. He's amazing in this. Every time I see him in a movie, he is a completely different style character than the previous film I saw him in uh, mm-hmm. or TV show. I, growing up was most familiar with Bergnine from Airwolf. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and then I saw okay. Escape from New York, completely different character, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, just every time I see him in something, he's a completely different character. He's a chameleon. He's in the black hole is something totally different. You know, he's he's just a, a different character every time I see him and completely different. Just not like, hey, he's a villain or hey, he's a good guy. He's just, he really buries himself in the role. And he's holding his own in this film against everybody in the film just by will of person, just by, by uh, yeah, I think he, ta- he, he takes over the film whenever he's on screen, I, I think. think. I mean, he is just that good. When Shatner first um, shows up, in the ghost town and he's has that confrontation. My God, he's just so he's just a few steps away from the mustache twirling stereotypical villain at a point, but he's so in control. He's, he just, Oh God, he's just great. He plays it to the hilt without overplaying it. Yeah. He, he goes, that's what I think I'm trying to say. Yeah. He gets right up to the edge and then mm-hmm. turns around. You know, he doesn't, quite go over that mark to be like a campy supervillain. I think the the first time we see him interact with Shatner over the water. Yeah. That's one of the most powerful scenes in the movie as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. Nobody's melting, nobody's on fire, nobody's got makeup on their face, but it's still one of the most powerful scenes in the movie because of the way they're just kind of dancing around each other and shooting these barbs at each other dialogue-wise. Shatner can't get the water to work, but oh, Borgnine can. Here's some water. If you're thirsty, have some. Well, the water's bad. Of course it is. A sweet way to defeat the thirst or get over the thirst, he says. And that, yeah, it's good. I like it. It is. He's, <laughs> he's, he is so good in this. Yeah. Another reason why Shatner is here is because uh, Borgnine has, or Corbus, has taken his family. And Mark Preston, Shatner's character, is going to try to get him back. And, well, it doesn't quite work yeah. out. And you mentioned the faith against faith scene. They make a little wager. My faith is better than your faith. I get my family back. And, and if I lose, so 
he gets the dark book and he gets to keep Preston there as well. And yeah, don't work out too well for Shatner. No, I was a little surprised. Nope. I mean, on the one hand, I'm thinking, what does God need with a starship? But on the other hand, I'm, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, uh, <laughs> I, no, no, no. That was a good call. That, that was a good one to pull out. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, you, it was cool. I mean, they've taken over this old beat up rundown church they're doing their satanic mass their satanic services and Preston's just doing the lord's prayer drying and drying and drying and well ultimately decides to get out of dodge and that's not going to work either he came armed he's got a, um, a pistol and he starts shooting some of the satanists and borgnine goes is that your faith you know which and delivers it so oh, much better man. than i did there oh it's great oh, man He's just, yeah, it's just, and then, like I said, there's that tracking shot as he's trying to get away from the hooded Satanists that uses the desert and that old decrepit church and everything so well, just so well. He gets to the car to try to get away and he opens the car door and hey, there's one of them sitting in the car just waiting for him. Like, that's great. I'm your Lyft driver. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. I I don't know, man. Maybe more like Uber, but um, (laughs) (laughs) my apologies to any Uber drivers in the audience there. (laughs) Yeah, we're just, yeah, we're uh, having fun here. But that's pretty much it. And I expected Shatner to be the hero, like I said, through the whole film. But no, he's pretty much taken out of most of the film at this point. Now we have uh, other characters to follow. Tom and Julie Preston, Tom Skerritt and uh, Joan Prather and Eddie Albert. As Dr. Richards becomes a character as well, that that is important later on. But yeah, I mean, it's them going to go save Tom's brother, save Mark. Yeah, it pretty much is. I mean, Eddie Albert doesn't show up again until basically the final act, Mm because at first it's Tom and uh, Julie going out there. And Julie's got the another trademark of 70s horror. She's got some woo woo. (laughs) <laughs> she's got esp psychic abilities something yes you know so she has these visions and she's seeing visions of what's to come you kind of get a setup for it which i think is a shame because you know you get to see ernest borgnine in his devil makeup early and i think that kind of lessens the impact that it'll have when it does happen actually in the film yeah you know i would have liked to have sat on it a little bit longer yeah, I think they should have. But anyway, you know, so he and Julie, uh, Tom and Julie go to town and they encounter John Travolta in his first movie role as the Satanist. The thing is, I mean, I know, okay, uh, Roger Ebert considers this one of his most hated films. Really? Yeah. He thinks it's dull. And I'm like, are you watching the same movie I am? Because for the most part, it's a pretty solid, evenly paced film. They're saving up the big climactic scene for the climax, as they should. They gave us a little taste with the melting guy in the in the first part. But, you know, it travels along pretty well until Tom and Julie try to drive out of the town that the Satanists are in for me. There's a big problem. Well, there's a couple. They're driving away. They know the town's invaded, but Tom's got to go back. So he lets Julie take over the driver's seat, and she drives away. And, of course, there's a hooded Satanist in the back of the car. <laughs> now, if it had been the middle of the night, you know, considering they're in black, I could see them, you know, being able to hide back there. But it's broad daylight in the desert. How do you miss it? <laughs> you know? And then he goes in. He sees what's happening to Mark. 
and he has to run out of town and he runs back to his house. But the but Keenan Wayne, as the sheriff, tells him, yeah, if you're going to go out there, make sure you got plenty of gas and take some extra water because it's a ways out there. And somehow he runs all the way back. Sure. That one was a, you know, I, I think that, you know, the director had some problems with pot, uh, potholes. Great. No, plot holes. Um, and I think that's one of them. But after <laughs> that, it still kicks in pretty quick with Eddie Albert and uh, Tom Skerritt going, going to take him out. Yeah. And finding the satanic Fabergé Easter egg. (sighs) (laughs) I saw it and it's like, oh God, it's like a Fabergé egg with souls. (laughs) Which I thought was kind of cool, actually. I really appreciated the way they set that up. Is, Is there actually a TV monitor inside that? That's what I... Um, I'm listening to the director's commentary I was listening to last night. Apparently, yeah, it was a TV monitor that they had inside of it. So they that's great. Were, yeah, it looks great. It really does. I mean, it, it's why it's not as mobile when you're looking at it because there's wires, but it looks really good. Of course, you've got all these all the souls that Corbis has collected in there, and it's looking bad for our heroes because. He's got the book. He's got the devil's reign. I guess they call it that because, you know, all the people inside are being rained upon for some reason. I don't know. Um, but, you know, William Shatner does pull it out at the end and starts the melting process. And boy, they got gloppy. They really did. They really Should we did. talk about that now? Yeah, let's talk about how much custard must have been. I don't know what it was, but it looked like custard. Uh, just kinda, I don't know what it was, but uh, man, they used a lot of it. Oh, that they did. Wow. That they did. I think this movie came out two years before The Incredible Melting Man. So this was like one of the first melting sequences. Well, no, you've got you've got the Poe tale. Um, oh, God, what was that in Tales of Terror? You know, where Basil Rathbone hypnotizes oh, yeah, yeah. Vincent Price, yeah. But this is just, this is not stationary makeup. They're pouring gunk out of people's eyes and stuff. It's pretty um, impressive. Yeah, that that it is. It's It's good and messy and, you know, even before we get to that point, we have some really cool imagery because of what the possessed or the emptied out vessels look like with the way their Mm -hmm. eyes are completely blacked out. It's unnerving. And I think part of the reason why I find it so effective is because it wasn't done in post. It's not a visual effect, which I know it's the seventies, you know, it wasn't done with an optical printer or anything like that. It was all done with makeup. For the most part, it looks good. If the camera holds a little too long, you kind of notice it's not quite right. But for the most part, it looks Wonderful. And then, of course, we've got Ernest Borgnine, as as we mentioned, in his devil makeup. My God, that is amazing work. Really animalistic and bestial. Borgnine uses that makeup to channel in someone totally different from Corbus. Corbus is this kind of almost genteel, smiling sort of person that you know is evil just by his mannerism. And then the devil makeup comes out and he's just a monster at that point. Yeah. You know, it's another reversal of the, the, okay, you can cut that. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm trying to get at folks is org nine just sells that change 
just makes it great. Yeah. But yeah, the melting, um, the makeup was credited on the film by the, uh, Borman studio who, um, you know, were instrumental in like planet of the apes. Okay. Um, yeah. If you go on IMDB, the main credit is to, um, Ellis Borman jr. Who did work on star Trek episodes. Um, and apparently the planet of the ape TV show, that's not on IMDB, but I found it on planet of the apes wiki. I don't know. But yeah, the Borman studio was involved with the makeup. I don't know how much, but the interesting thing is one of the Bormans, Ellis Borman, mm-hmm. who worked on the Ghost of Frankenstein and the Wolfman for Universal, was at the time head of the lab at Don Post Studios, the mask makers. Okay. And they made basically off the makeup, I'm sure, you know, in doing the makeup, they made a life cast of William Shatner that they later used as a mold for a Halloween Captain Kirk mask. I was wondering if you wanted to bring this up or if I was going to. Yeah, that's fascinating because where this goes. Yeah, because that mask later ended up being the one for Michael Myers in Halloween. And I'm going to take it a step further. Oh, okay. Because I knew that going in. Because even though Mm -hmm. I managed to stay away from the movie itself... Of course, I had to do a little bit of reading and research. You know, I didn't want to spoil it, but I wanted to know a few things here and there. Okay, there's a scene in the third act where Tom Skerritt's character is confronting some of the Satanists, and he ends up discovering that his brother, Shatner, has already been emptied out, hollowed out, and become one of the the minions. And Shatner has Skerritt, and there's a look of recognition from Skerritt, and then they double back to a shot of Shatner, and he tilts his head just like Michael Myers does. Yes. And it is unnerving because, man, that's Michael Myers. And I'm not saying that that's where they got that for the Halloween films, but that's just knowing the connections. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, and you can totally see it. I, you know, I mean, uh, because it, the makeup, it seems like they use kind of that makeup for the mask in some way. Uh-huh. And so, you know, he just tilts the head and it's like, oh, my God, where's John Carpenter's score? Right. Interesting thing about the melting scene, too. Apparently, it was shorter. They didn't have quite as much goo running. But um, the executive producer, Sandy Howard, recut the director's version of the film, adding in more melting. Because, I mean, let's be honest, that's what the whole promotional artwork and and TV commercials were really promoting. It was, hey, you're going to see a whole bunch of people melt, which is another plot hole. When I saw this film, I think I saw it in my 20s. It, it took a while. You know, I saw it and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the devil's ring. But if you look at it, you know, the first melting character is in the rain and he's melting. Now all the Satanists are in the rain and melting. Satanists apparently can't go out in the rain which is why they're in Mexico and not up here in the Northwest. <laughs> because every time it rains, someone's melting. Yeah. They definitely have a Wicked Witch of the West problem. <laughs> they get wet and they melt. Which I'm fine with because, my gosh, it was just, I mean, it was amazing makeup work for the time. And, you know, I mean, this is a PG movie. And I, um, you know, I, I always say that PG ratings are a little different back in the 70s, and I think that's the case with this. Because, I mean, it's really gnarly, some of that stuff. 70s PG is, man, you got away with a lot. 
He got away with a lot more. And even in early 80s. I mean, the Beastmaster is PG, despite having a topless scene. So you got yeah. away with a little bit more than a little different. And I didn't feel like the, the rating held this back. I was actually a little surprised. I didn't know what it was rated going into it. And as the movie's playing and the movie ends, you get, like some of the older movies do from this era, you get the, the ratings card. And it's uh, you know it's all in blue for the most part with the little banner that says PG on yeah. it. I'm like, wow, that was that was PG. Lots of people getting yeah. shot with shotguns and lots of goop, and they we're talking about Satan. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I mean, this definitely would not be a PG movie today. Oh no, probably P. They could get away with PG thirteen, maybe I don't know, but I mean, the makeup is per- is really disgusting. Yeah. It's not something we could do with CGI now. There is no way. I mean, I know people would try if they ever remade this film and make it, oh, we'll just CGI all the goo. No, that don't work. This goo is just thick and multicolored and just dripping everywhere. And God, it must have been uncomfortable for those actors to have all those pipes pumping out that stuff all over them. Especially when it comes out of their eyes. Oh, oh yeah, man. That's that's where I was like, oh, this is over the top, and I'm loving it. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is oh, this yeah. is a bit much, but I'm digging it. So yeah, the movie started with credits over paintings of Hieronymus Bosch. Mm-hmm. That'll set the tone. Yeah, that pretty much did. I mean, I'm like this is um, not what I. Oh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, when it starts <laughs> off, I'm like, this this is going to be a little bit more than just a little silly. Oh, there's Satanist, you know, just where you can kind of play it up a little bit. This is going to have some real depth to it, and I feel like the movie delivered on the promise that we got in the opening credits. What else are you going to open with in a movie like this, except for those paintings? I mean, they're just they're just satanic. You know, that's that's kind of become a thing too. I feel like a lot of movies kind of that deal with devilish or, or satanic or demonic elements. A lot of times will work classic artwork or paintings into the mix. I'm immediately thinking of, um, uh, from the nineties, is it Al Pacino and, uh, devil's advocate. Yeah. And that's Keanu. And Keanu Re- yeah, yeah. Keanu Reeves. There, there's a painting that's very instrumental in that film. Uh, in fact, there's a lawsuit because they didn't necessarily pay the original paintings family anyway. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it immediately gives this kind of instant history mm-hmm. uh, or classicism yeah. to the evil that we're going to run into in the movie. And the paintings in the opening credits on this one set it up so well. You're right. I mean, it's just, really good choice on the director's part. Mm-hmm. We've been doing a bunch of connections. Yeah. Did you know about the distributors of this? Uh, what was it? Uh, Bryston Distributors, Inc. I, I don't know anything about them. They distributed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, Dark Star, but they were mob connected. Oh, good. They were uh, mafia affiliated. It's interesting because Ernest Bordenine has claimed that he didn't get paid for his work in this because for whatever reason. I had heard that. Uh, I had heard that Borgnine never wanted to do a movie like this again. Uh, the subject matter just was not something he wanted to revisit because he didn't get paid. And I guess there were some maybe some negative things that happened on this set. Oh, it's cursed or whatever. 
I had heard yeah, that I, as well. But yeah, I, I heard that the director on the commentary probably is like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it seems like a stretch. There was a claim that the director had a nervous breakdown, and he's like, nope, sure didn't. Nope, nope, nope. But yeah, it's it's interesting that the same people who released Texas Chainsaw Massacre were involved in this one. It's unfortunate Ernest Borgnine, if he didn't get paid for it, it's unfortunate that he didn't because he deserved to get paid for this because he was so good. Oh, man. Oh. So I'm starting to giggle here because, of course, I'm going to talk about the music. Of course. Al DeLore is the person who's credited as the composer of the film. Now, I just wanted to see if any of his music was available for download or purchase. So I went to Amazon, looked up his name, and the first thing to come up is a vinyl recording of him playing Midnight Cowboy. So um, <laughs> I, okay. I don't, I don't know if the, I don't think the Devil's Reign is available in any way, shape, or form. But if you want to hear him play Midnight Cowboy, apparently it's out there somewhere. <laughs> My, <laughs> well, you know. That, okay. Why not? <laughs> I liked the music a lot. Uh, I feel mm-hmm. like every once in a while it dipped into a little over the top. But, you know, the movie every once in a while dips into over the top, especially with the goo. So I'm okay with that. I would yeah. love to own the score to this. I imagine it's something that I would listen to on a regular basis if it was available. Yeah, I could see that too. Fortunately, this is one of those movies that really never hit with critics or audiences at the time but you know i mean it's a solid film it's fun to watch you get all these really good actors giving it their all you've got some beautiful photography and you've got 15 minutes of melting satanists what more do you want yeah (laughs) you know yeah you could argue plot holes but that doesn't matter i could see some plot holes but you know i mean still it's a fun movie it's well acted the makeup is amazing. Just, yeah, if, if you watch it, just watch it for, for the performances and for the photography and for the music and for the big special effects finale. Because it's worth the trip. The movie does have a lot of firsts, a lot of connections. You know, the Halloween mask thing leading to the Halloween franchise. Supposedly, this is the film in which John Travolta discovered the book Dianetics. And yeah, was, that led to his. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, one of the act, I think the, what I read is one of the actresses introduced him to it. And yeah, that eventually led him there. And it is John Travolta's first role, you know, so. You know, I'm not sure if this came out during Welcome Back, Cotter, or not. But, yeah, it's his first movie role before Grease, so. Welcome Back, Cotter was 1975 when it started. Yeah, I don't think they played off of it as much as they would later, you know, when it first came out, because it was a TV show and it just started. But, yeah, I'm sure once Grease came out, they were happy to play up John Travolta's first role, first movie. He's not in it very much, folks, so don't be fooled. Yeah, he did a lot of TV first and then would go to, like, The Devil's Reign, uh, Saturday Night Fever, Carrie. Mm-hmm. You know? Carrie was before Grease, wasn't he? Yeah, it was before Grease, so you have that. Yeah, yeah, Saturday Night Fever. Forgot about that one. He did a lot of good stuff in the 70s. It was, that was a good era for him. Yeah. Kind of into the 80s, I guess, maybe. But, yeah, really the 70s, I think, is peak Travolta. Why are we talking about Travolta on Monster Kid Radio right now? What is happening? Because he's in the Devil's Reign. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair but, enough. You know, we can 
we can easily get off the Travolta train. That sounds like a good idea. So, <laughs> overall, with this movie, I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. Mm-hmm. When I was done with it, I initially was a little disappointed. Yeah. I wanted this movie to be so big and so awesome and so important and moving, and I felt a little let down by it. I remember thinking... I remember as if it was a long time ago. It was yesterday morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I ended the movie and I thought, well, I don't like to do episodes of Monster Kid Radio where I am negative. So what did I like about the movie? And I love all the elements of the movie. I love the makeup. I love the look of those who have been hollowed out. I love mm -hmm. Borgnine's performance. I love the confrontation between Shatner and Borgnine. I love that there's a little bit of 70s woo-woo in here. Uh, I love that. I love that you've got a man of science going up against the devil. It doesn't work out very well, but, you know, he, he tries. I like yeah. that. I like the way the... Devil's Reign is portrayed. I, I like the setting so much. I respond so well to the colors of the Old West and the Southwest. Uh, I, I actually just spent like five days in Arizona, and there's just something about it. I know it's dry and, and arid and hot and dusty, and mm -hmm. I know that. But there is just something about the natural colors of the sun and the sand and the sunset and the clouds or lack thereof. There's just something about that color palette that has resonated with me forever. I was born in Arizona. I was born in Tucson. So maybe it's just part of my DNA. I don't know. I don't have any memories as a child growing up from Arizona because my dad was military. We moved around a lot. And I think we moved before I started remembering stuff um but th th that that color palette has just always been important to me i find it fascinating and liberating and and exciting in a way that I, I just i'm having a hard time describing other than using words like liberating and exciting now don't get me wrong i think mm -hmm. oregon is probably the best place for me you know the pacific northwest and you know i love the green and i love the 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 seasons, yeah. the, the seasons for the most part up here and culturally and politically and all that other stuff. But the colors, man, of, of Arizona, and th this is a colorblind guy talking here, so maybe I'm seeing something that's not really <laughs> there. But the colors, the setting, that's always spoken to me. And I got that in The Devil's Reign. And mm -hmm. once I started considering all these different elements of the film, I think I was able to process them and put them all together. And then within about half an hour, yeah, I decided I did like this movie. <laughs> Overall, I did like the film. It took, it took maybe about half an hour of considering all the different elements and little pieces and putting the puzzle together in my head to make it work. But then I was able to make it work. And now I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. You know, and I'll be honest. I mean, I really enjoy this movie, but it is so much better than it should be. You know? It's nothing really great. It shouldn't be this good. It's a fairly low-budget 70s horror film. But they got the right actors. They got the right makeup person. They got the right director who used the desert setting so well. You're talking about the color palette, the ghost town with the bleached-out, just empty houses and buildings everywhere. 
it was all used so well that this movie ends up being, like I said, better than it should have been. Yes. I think um, without Fuse behind it, without Ernest Borgnine, William Shatner, Tom Skerritt, Ida Lapio, you know, and all those other actors, without the really in- incredible makeup, this movie would have just been under the radar for everyone. And unfortunately, it's still kind of under the radar, but it shouldn't be because it's really fun to watch. And I think a nice movie to end this month on, the theme on. Mm-hmm. I think it worked out. Perfect. I love when things work out. <laughs> <laughs> Scream with the devil. Go wild with the witch. Now, twice the terror in one double shock show. First, the most astounding downpour of horror ever seen. The Devil's Reign, starring William Shatner and John Travolta in his most exciting film. From the creators of Planet of the Apes, heaven help us all when the Devil's Reign. Plus, on the same show, the girl with the powers of the super unnatural, the virgin witch. She'll take you on and turn you on. The witching hour is here. The virgin witch. See two double shockers from Joseph Brenner releasing. The Devil's Plus, the Virgin Witch. Together, they'll leave you gasping. This program, rated R. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. An army of deadly predators searching destroying anything in their path. He's over at Colby's. He's found another 20 or 30 hills just like the one we burned. Why did they come? What do they want? Spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army. William Shatner, Tiffany Foley, your nightmares will never be the same. Kingdom of the Spiders, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. We saw somebody murdered. Some sort of ritual across the river. A girl got stabbed. Two men witness an unspeakable evil and get trapped in an unbelievable nightmare. 20th Century Fox presents Race with the Devil, starring Peter Fonda and Warren Oates. They're trying to screw with our brains, so what are we going to do about it? There was nowhere they could hide. They've seen us. There was no one they could trust. Did anybody hear anything? Didn't anybody see anything? There was nothing they could do but run and fight and race with the devil when you race with the devil you'd better be faster than hell Peter Fonda and Warren Oates in Race with the Devil rated PG parental guidance suggested That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for joining me this month during the satanic rites of January. I don't know if we're going to do another 
Satanic Rites of January next year or not, but it has been fun going through these movies and just seeing the satanic influence, I suppose, on our favorite monster movies. It's been a lot of fun. I've had a blast going through these films, revisiting some old favorites and finding some new ones to enjoy along the way. Thank you to Ken Height, Chris McMillan, Alistair Hughes, Scott Morris, and Frank Schildener for being part of the festivities this month. Next month on Monster Kid Radio, I'd like to do another themed month. So we're going to kick off Flashback February. Now, what happens in Flashback February? We are going to take a look at some movies that we've already talked about here on the show. We've got over 250 episodes, so I know there are some movies out there that you know we haven't talked about in a long time, or maybe some people wanted to talk about some of these movies, but it's already been covered. So, you know what? We're going to open up the vaults. We're going to look at some of the movies that we've already covered on the show, bring somebody else on, and discuss the movies with them. Different point of view, that sort of thing. Longtime listeners of the show know that Joe Stuber from Comic Book Central and I covered all of the Abbott and Costello Meet the Monster movies. He's a huge fan of Abbott and Costello, and I thought it was only right to have him on to talk about those movies. But I know a lot of people love those films, including Scott Morris. So Scott Morris will be hopping on over from Disney, Indiana, to talk about Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein with me here on the show next week. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. The nation's top comics, Abbott and Costello. Petrified, but hilariously. <laughs> Plus the dangerous and terrifying Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney. Plus, that fiend out of a nightmare, the vampire Batman, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Plus, the most dreaded creature of them all, the Frankenstein monster, played by Glenn Strange. Plus, a couple of luscious but designing females in the spookiest laugh fest on record. What else can you expect during Flashback February? Well, stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net because I'll make sure I post it there as well as on Facebook and Twitter. Of course, that would be after I get everybody scheduled, because right now I still have a few openings. Anyway, I mentioned the website, monsterkidradio.net. Did you know we have links to our Facebook page and our Twitter page and our Facebook group on the website, as well as links to everything that we talked about here on the show, the musicians that you hear, various websites that come up during different conversations, and even Amazon affiliate links to the movies that we talk about here on the show. If you are going to shop at Amazon, please consider doing so through our Amazon affiliate links because, well, it helps with the programming here on Monster Kid Radio. The programming, like that cotton, you know what I mean. It helps with everything that we do here on the podcast. You know what else helps the podcast? Honest reviews. If you download the show through Apple Podcasts or some other podcast catcher or directory, please consider leaving an honest review for the podcast there. The more reviews, the more likelihood of getting more listeners and, you know, the more monster kids, the merrier, right? I want to thank everybody for their support with the podcast and of me personally. It really does mean a lot. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Except, of course, the song. Negative ID belongs to the band Grand Rojo. It's from the self-titled album Grand Rojo, which you can find at grandrojo.bandcamp.com. The nine-song digital album is only $5. And one of those songs is a cover of the theme song from the HBO show Tales from the Crypt. 
and it's really cool. I didn't want to play it though because of the whole rights thing, but man, it's it's become one of my favorite tracks that I've discovered through Monster Kid Radio. Also, if you're in the Eugene, Oregon area, they do have a show coming up on March 22nd at Sessions Music Hall. If you go, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>